Good evening, Ica bros and Ica babes, and welcome to Slow Motion Triple Feature, a podcast in which three friends watch three movies over the course of three weeks. Each month, a different friend will select a different triple feature for their friends to enjoy and discuss. <laughs> slow, <laughs> slow Motion Triple Feature is one of the many fine podcasts brought to you by the American Friend Institute. Kit, would you tell us a little bit more about the American Friend Institute? The American Friend Institute is an organization that honors the heritage of the motion picture arts. We produce educational podcasts about film, including Adam Sandler, A Life in Pictures, and have curated a jury-selected list of the 100 greatest films of all time. The American Friend Institute was founded out of our mutual disgust that The Exorcist was not on the American Film Institute's list of the 100 greatest movies. It's also not on our list, because no one nominated it. I think we all probably thought someone else would do it. So, no exorcist, but Tommy Boy did squeak in at number 100. The American Friend Institute, the only organization for cinema excellence that thinks Doug Lyman's Go is a better movie than Citizen Kane. <laughs> That's because I'm part of the gang. <laughs> <laughs> I am your host, Mike Keller, and I am joined today by my good friends, Kit and Andrew. Uh, tonight, we are mixing it up a little for a special Halloween triple feature for the month of October here. Um, this month, each of us has picked one scary movie to watch and discuss. So there's really, it's not one person with uh, picking a theme and then making the triple. It's all three of us contributing to one, and there's no theme other than just, it's a scary movie. Tonight's film is Kit's pick. Uh, which is 1999's Sleepy Hollow, directed by Tim Burton. So uh, Tim Burton, greatest director of all time, according to the American Friend Institute. He is. He has most, yeah, what, like three <laughs> or four in our top ten or I something? I think he might have six, honey. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, I mean, lots of hits, and then he kind of just lost his, lost his yes. way or something. Yeah. But uh, we can get into that, I suppose. So uh, we have all seen this film. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Number yeah, many... 28 on the American Friend Institute list. Oh, wow. I'm We're so glad because I was wondering if it was on there. Anyhow, so I uh, I remember I saw this movie in theaters and I, I like for whatever my reason, podcasts like I like my ass smacked smacked on the Internet. <laughs> I like it like I like my uh, cereals with a frog mascot. <laughs> I don't get it. Oh, I don't okay. have one. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> Jesus. Kit, just do one with heroin. There you go. I like it. Like I like my heroin. Yeah. There Smack. You go. Smack. That's right. <laughs> okay. Um, also, can we we sh when Mike? When do you want to stop the recording and start the intervention? I think we should finish the episode and then. Intervene. I think that makes sense. Kids okay. Is it for being... heroin or for drinking pee pee? Both. Drinking. Yeah. <laughs> I figure one is a symptom of the other. <laughs> Hard to say which. It's a real chicken wanna... or the egg situation. Ugh. Is wine yeah. supposed to make your teeth hurt? I don't think so. What is he? Are you drinking? You're probably drinking like, are you drinking like gas station wine? That's just like <laughs> jacked full of sugar. Cause that's <laughs> did you make the wine. I don't know. That's I did just lick it. my microphone on accident though. 
You better hope like that nobody it. with COVID-19 has come into your apartment and licked your Lee's, microphone. Lee's making me use this new microphone, the RE20 that he just got that I hate. He had one before. I don't like it. It's extremely phallic, like even for a microphone. It's very big and heavy. And then I just licked it and I don't like that. You know what I like about it? It's what? ribbed. Exactly. See, it's very, that's very, even for a microphone. Yeah. I hate this thing. I think it's hot. It's going to um, knock my teeth out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the hazards of podcasting. Um, anyways, we're watching Sleepy Hollow tonight. Yep. That is what we are talking about. That's why we're here. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to share. I don't have like a grand story about it, but I have this weird. So I saw this movie in theaters in probably November, December of 99. I think it came mm-hmm. out around 13 years old. December. What's that? You were like 13. Yes. Yeah, I was 13 years old. Yeah, it was I a winter movie, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it could have even been January, I suppose, but I'm pretty sure I saw it. Like I think I saw it. I think it I, I think I think it was either Thanksgiving or or Christmas, probably Thanksgiving, because I yeah. know that I was at a family like we were out of town at like a family holiday, like get together. And that and well, we decided to go see the movie. Yeah. And I know this movie didn't do particularly well as it as it is. But if they release this on Christmas, then wow that's foolish <laughs> i didn't know that it didn't do very well that's i crazy. think it did okay no, it i don't believe it did very well it was 200 million internationally and the budget was but the budget was pretty high the budget was 70 million yeah that's not that's not amazing that's not blow of course movies sorry didn't, mike movies didn't need to make 200 billion dollars in yeah i think it was either yeah i think it was considered decent for the time but no it wasn't like mm. there was no sleepy hollow 2 um although they did make I a recall- tv show I re- yes, but the you know there's a freaking book, right? The TV show isn't well, based on a movie. I watched the TV show. I think it the, was horrible. I think the TV show pulls at least some inspiration from the movie. Because have the, you watched the TV show? The one of the guys, well, no, but one of the guys that either created or writes for the show, he did that 1999 podcast, like where they just go through every movie of 1999, and he's a big mm. fan of Sleepy Hollow. So I bet, I bet. I don't know. Bit. I will say. I think that the TV show got almost all of its inspiration from National Treasure. Okay. <laughs> that could be. It's basically like, that. what if there's like a fucking, like America's founded on magic bullshit and we're going to go to like Ben Franklin's catacombs and there's all this fucking treasure and bullshit and also witches were burned, which is that was like the first episode. I was like, "Ooh, cool! A new TV show based on Sleepy Hollow, starring hot, hot people." And then you watch it, and it's like the first episode. They're like, "Oh, witches being burned at the stake." I'm like, "Fuck, fuck off!" I did watch the whole thing though, <laughs> <laughs> and well, I was sad when it was canceled. So when was the first time you saw this kit? I mean, definitely not when it came out because I was 11. And it would have been way too scary for me. No freaking way. Um, so probably in maybe middle school or high school, maybe middle school, maybe like maybe maybe 14, 15 years old. Yeah. I'm much younger than Mike. Um, way and <laughs> way, way younger than Mike. And um, I basically this is like a contender for. I think there's an argument to be made that this is the best movie Tim Burton ever made. I think 
This is one, for me, personally speaking, this is the most beautiful movie I've ever seen. It's my favorite production design ever. It's a movie I would most want to live in out of anything. It's so gorgeous. I think it probably has something to do with me getting, like, a PhD in, in American history. Like, I love, I really, really, really love this movie to the point that it doesn't matter at all that I don't know what the plot is. Um, <laughs> like, I, I... I love it has my favorite shot ever in a movie like I love this movie and I think from the first time I watched it I was like this is the most gorgeous thing that I've ever seen did you see it originally like like on ABC family I know they they ran it on no I think I rented it there was a period in like early high school I think where I was like I'm gonna start watching I, I, it was like a hollow. I think it was probably Halloween. It was either driven by like Johnny Depp obsession mm. or obviously I, I always liked Tim Burton like my whole life. But mm-hmm. I think um, I think there was one Halloween where I was like, I really want to watch scary movies or at least like what for me constitutes scary movies. So like I, wa- I think I probably watched this and Bram Stoker's Dracula and maybe even um, uh, Interview with the Vampire kind of like all around the same time of just kind of like gothic horror movies yeah. um and it's weird because like this this movie is this movie is rated r which seems insane to me like why would this be rated r like i don't think it would the, be now and at the same time at the same time like like nothing about this movie scares me and at the same time it's also like extremely violent by a and gory by a particular standard but like and I hate gore I hate violence in movies but this movie like it doesn't phase me one bit like it's just so it's cartoony but but it's it's walking this kind of strange tightrope where death does not mean nothing like it's not it's not just a splatter fest for like the audience's enjoyment but there is stuff like when the horseman cuts off somebody's head, their head spins around very cartoonishly. But then there's also like scenes where I think that the scenes where death, where where we're reminded like the severity of what's going on is like, you don't actually necessarily see too much of what's happening. Like when the horseman takes out that whole family, like we see the dad die, but then they, you know, not showing but like, like just the mom's eyes through the holes and then the little boys scream. It's like that's... little boys like that little boy dies. I think there's an implication that like a and a a infant is decapitated in yes. utero. Like there's yes. weird like yeah. ve- there's like it's very like I, that's what I mean. It's like on the one hand, it's like extremely violent and dark. And on the other hand, like the parts where like Johnny Depp is like poking a like cauterized neck and like a bug crawls out like or in any other movie I'd be like no fucking way am I I'm turning this off but in this movie I'm like I don't know everything's so pretty even the fucking (laughs) spider I hate spiders but that spider is such a like it's such an out of place spider like there's no tarantulas in New England I don't think and even if you like I in the at least in the IMDb trivia, it said that like there's a quote from Tim Burton talking about how about the spider scene being like improvised because he just always had bugs on set. Like even though he had no plan to use the bugs, he just wanted there to be bugs around. <laughs> and then 
sometimes he'd be like, oh, let's put a bug in here. And so they just like had a spider and they put a spider in that scene, even though it makes no sense. But it's such a like art directed form of violence. Like you say, people's heads spinning around and um, that it just like it doesn't bother me. Like it's so pretty. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've always thought it was really strange that this became an ABC family staple like around Halloween like it's violent it's scary Mm -hmm. and I mean you especially like your tremendous phobia of spiders like but you love the movie and I don't know I just think it's interesting I think it's because of the production design that people just don't really feel like it's as bad as a different kind of violent movie here well when when I went to see this as in theater I think I saw it like opening day or something like that or within a week of opening but like as I said it was like Thanksgiving or something and like I remember I saw it with my aunt and my grandmother and they wanted to see it because they love Johnny Depp mm-hmm. um, and Tim Burton, I'm sure. Uh, and I really, really wanted to go. But I remember there was like a legitimate discussion over like, should he be able to go see this movie? And then I remember, too, it was like, well, he can go. And if it gets to be too much, then, you know, if he has to leave the theater and come back or whatever, then we can do that. Because I'm I'm very affected by horror movies. Um but yeah, so I remember, but I don't think, I don't think even at that age, like, I don't think it really, I think the, the, maybe the anticipation of it actually being scary made it scarier than yeah. it actually was. There's, I, see, I, I think, I, I agree with you that like, it's not that the violence has no weight, but then I also am like, I feel that the audience's position weirdly is like that of Tim Burton like that's where I like there's like a glee in all of this of like how dumb and crazy and like like I described this movie like I feel like I love Tim Burton because his movies speaking of the time when he could make one his movies are beautiful in a way that lacks all subtlety like Mm -hmm. they're really indulgent, really tacky and over the top. There's no restraint at all. They beat you over the head with style. They don't care about being cool or sophisticated. Like they're like they're gorgeous but in a way that like rots your teeth and makes you stupider and it's like I said this movie to me is like Barry Lyndon with no ego at all. And he wears his references on his sleeve like so much like Black Sunday and the Disney cartoon and Hammer Horror like he like it, he's so uncool and I appreciate that way of being so much and I feel like that's why it's my favorite movie is because in addition to being like gorgeous it's very like uncool and unsophisticated about how gorgeous it is and it takes such delight in how gorgeous it is and it takes such joy in this like incredibly stupid violence and like I don't feel like it's being you know even like if you watch a Spielberg movie it's like this is all being crafted and presented to me in order to scare me and with Tim Burton I feel like I'm sitting next to Tim Burton and he's like isn't this fucking cool (laughs) Like, isn't this funny and stupid and amazing and beautiful? Like, it's just it's such like a heart on your sleeve, like way of making a movie. Um, Yeah. While still having like an incredible level of craftsmanship. Like, I think this movie, all the effects in this movie, I feel like hold up 
so well like and there aren't apparently there's like 150 special effects shots which like other than like the headless horseman's like blue screen situation like i don't even know where all those are hidden like i can think of some that stand out obviously but um it's just the mix of like it just feels like a movie by someone who loves movies and that's part of the reason that i don't find it scary maybe it's because it never lets you forget you're watching a movie really yeah for sure and i think too it's it's like this is this is like the time that tim burton while still making good movies got to be like so full blown in his tim burtonness like this movie is uh mostly shot on a soundstage which is yes an incredible thing that i think fucking amazing yeah so there's just like there's a real and there's you know so that means there's tons of like miniature sets and all kinds of crazy things like that and um you know he's also working with like one of the best cinematographers of all Mm -hmm. time uh this is produced by coppola um speaking Mm -hmm. to the dracula connection um but it's it's so 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 tim burtony and in a way that i think I'm trying to think of like, because like if you think about Edward Scissorhands, like no mistaking that it's a Tim Burton movie, but like there are things in that movie that feel honestly, anytime Tim Burton has to go shoot on location, it's it feels like maybe like like something that's outside of his control to some degree. I'm not I'm not saying that it's that, you know, Tim Burton hasn't got to do what he wants to do up until the point he made Sleepy Hollow. But just there's just something very very much like, oh, I'm in mm-hmm. a sandbox of 100% completely of my design. Um, and that's, yeah. cool. that's cool to see and to see it work out. And he credits uh, Lubetsky with like being able to make those sets seem like they have way more depth than they actually had. I believe um, it. I believe it. Yeah. Like, I don't know if he's even I don't know if Burton was like immediately thrilled about the idea of shooting everything indoors but like obviously i mean that is i would say that's the number one reason why this is my favorite looking movie ever is that incredible the world feels so insanely real and realized Mm -hmm. but something in you knows that you're not really outside. Like there's something it's, it's tells kinda, you. It's kind of like Disneyland a little bit, right? Yes. Ex- yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's Lee's worst nightmare of like an, a sky painted indoors. That's what yeah. she hates that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love that. Um, and uh, there's very, there's very cool moments where, you know, just cause I was looking for it now. I was like, I'm going to find, I would just want to see like, where where can I see the seams of the set? And it would be like mm-hmm. anytime they're inside, um, not anytime, but there there are definitely moments where it's like he he's against a window and the window is just like completely blown out. Um, and I think that probably they set up like silks and just shot like mm-hmm. just purposely turned them completely white and made that their light source and stuff. So that was very cool. Um and felt very like studio y. Uh, then also just like the the lighting on uh, a lot of the a lot of the shots where it's just like he the there's like no shadow whatsoever. It's just like completely mm-hmm. but we're also like in, you know, like the basically the lighting that's on the face doesn't make sense for yes. 
if this was like the real world, like it, it, it's, it's, it's like too stylized, but then it totally, totally works because we already believe this world. Um, also, the production design, I, a lot of this was reminding me of Pirates, and the production design is by Rick Heinrichs, who did Pirates. He oh, did yeah. The Last Jedi. He did Fargo. He did Big Lebowski. Um, wow. So yeah, pretty high-quality people. For sure. And the script is an, has an uncredited rewrite by Tom Stoppard, which I think really shows. I think the script's really good. Like individual lines, the tone of it. They're very, very good. It's very consistent and funny. I would say, and you kind of mentioned this earlier, but I would say that, like, I've seen this I don't know how many times. And um, it is kind of like I was I was like, this time I'm gonna watch it and see if I can if if I can see all the pieces and see if I can kind of like solve the mystery before the movie yeah. tells me. And I don't think I could. Um, no. <laughs> and that's not necessarily a problem because, I mean, how many, I mean, whodunits are kind of a pulpy genre anyway. And so that's kind of a, a hallmark is that you don't know until it's explained to you. But, uh, yeah, I was kind of hoping that I would be able to, um, but I definitely couldn't. Uh, not no. that, it, not that nothing, not that you, it doesn't really necessarily feel that there are any like loose ends or whatever once you do have uh, yeah. like the full breath I mean, of the, the mystery... The fu- the funniest thing that they do with the mystery is that everybody tells him there's a headless horseman and he's like, no. It's great. And then he finds out that's true. That's it's really great. It's um, in, a, in him as a character, like it makes it it's so ugh. fun to because he's so like resolved. And you would think mm-hmm. like, I don't know, it's, it's just very interesting because you have these two sort of ideologies that are kind of warring inside him to some degree um, at that point that he realizes the headless horseman is real. Um, so it is fun seeing him like double down on being a detective, even after mm-hmm. he knows he's not going to get a perfectly scientific right. explanation. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's, I think that's, that's kind of fun to see because it just seems, um, it seems like that is not a thing that would be revealed so early in the movie when they set up the character to be a scientist, right? Um, right. So anyway. Yes, he has a lot for being such a silly character. He has a lot of like there's a lot of depth to his backstory. I yeah, think. I don't. I guess I don't totally understand how his backstory relates to parts of what's happening happening presently in the movie in that um after he figures out the headless horseman is real, because I could see that like his mother's death being subconsciously like his drive for pursuing mm-hmm. science because, you know, his father kills her out of like from uh, because of his religion and superstition and all that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't once he once everybody's on the same page that the headless horseman is real. I'm not sure I understand how that Come like why? Why does why is that important to his character for that long stretch of of time? I mean, I think you could I, maybe tie it back to Katrina. Um, yes, but 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 there's so much of the movie where it doesn't where it's like that doesn't quite like it connects at the beginning and it kind of connects more at the end, but throughout a lot of the second act, it doesn't seem to really jive. I think. 
I think it's not just, I don't think he rejects, I don't think he embraces science. So yes, there's the element that the superstition and religion of his father is the reason that he embraces science, but I also think he embraces science as a denial of what happened to his mother because he starts to have these flashbacks Mm -hmm. specifically because of the Headless Horseman lore. And I mean, there's that one shot of his father leaving the church where he appears headless. So he's obviously like connecting the actual like image of the headless horseman to his father. Hmm. But I, but I think, I think in some way he says to Katrina, like I'm remembering things that I don't want to remember. Like he, I don't think thinks of his mother most of the time or really acknowledges what happens to her. And part of what is like deeply frightening to him about the headless horseman is both that it is that it forces him to confront that that experience in his life um so i think by the end like the way he's changed obviously is to like embrace the unknown a little bit more but it's also i really like the ending of this movie i really like that it's just them going to new york and getting away from these crazy motherfuckers (laughs) oh yeah and kind of like entering a new you know a new 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 time period um like so it it doesn't end up being like he doesn't he doesn't have to like end up losing his faith in science, but um, he's at least able to like integrate it better better I think with with magic and with what would ha- what happened to his mother and confront like a major fear. Yeah, I guess like at the beginning of the movie, he's kind of like he's sort of a loner and he's kind of a prick, um, and then by the end of the movie, he has a you know a family. So. Mm-hmm. You have anything to say, Michael? Uh, yeah, <laughs> you guys were really going. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess initially what I had was I remember when this movie came out, I went to see it in the theater. Um, <laughs> and uh, I remember coming out. So I went and saw it with my dad and I remember coming out of the theater and it was chilly and like kind of foggy and like, mm-hmm. I mean, it was night by the time we got out. And it was just like I had this and I have these handful of just very vivid memories from growing up and sleepy that has always been one of them for whatever reason um but it was just like this perfect fit of like i just saw this really good satisfying like spooky movie that's just gorgeous you know i just saw this in the theater and then we came out and it was like almost kind of like the movie had like carried out with us Mm -hmm. or something and so that's like one of my that was it was at a theater that closed not that long after but like every time I drive by that building, like that's one of a handful of like movie memories <laughs> from that theater that I like think of. Cool. Um, this movie, I, I really like it a lot. And it does sort of have like like 1999. I'm 13 years old. There's so many good movies that come out this year, that year. And so it just kind of has like Sleepy Hollow has this like little special place of like just a really great, you know, and and mm-hmm. later in later years, I would really come to. I don't love all of the hammer horror films that I've seen, but I really like the set design. Like I will just watch one of those Mm -hmm. old, like Christopher Lee movies or Peter Cushing or whatever, like just because I like the way that the sets look and I like, you know, the atmosphere and all that kind of stuff. Um, So yeah, so sleepy hollow is like near and dear to me Uh, watching it this time. I actually, I just watched it last year for the first time in probably, I don't know, five to 10 years or something. So I had just seen this not that long ago. But uh, I guess it kind of struck me just the cast. Um, it's like 
Uh, so yeah, I mean, yeah, like Depp. So you got Johnny Depp, Christina Ricci, obviously both very big stars in their time. But then also it's like he's pulled even from like the Hammer Horror films or right. just like kind of his like, uh, I don't know, what do you say? Like his 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 roster, Burton's like, yeah. you know, regular players. Uh, so like Martin Landau is in it right, you know, toward the beginning. Then Christopher Lee. Uh, I don't know, like Michael Gambon or Gambone or I don't know. Has he been in other Burton stuff or is he just like? Uh, it's Michael Gamboni. Gamboni. OK, yeah. he's the guy that cleans the hockey rink. Yes, I don't think so. But there's a lot of he's in Harry Potter along with a lot of these other people. Right. And that, too. So like there's this. And actually, I kind of wondered Star if that Wars. was. So, yeah, that's yeah. Michael um, Gambon is in Star Wars. No, I'm just saying there's a lot of Harry Potter people and a lot of Star Wars people in this. Yeah. Like, no, I, I, I actually kind of I've wondered before, like when it finally struck me that like this movie is on ABC Family multiple times every October, mm-hmm. which now it's free form. It used to be like Fox family and all that type of stuff, whatever. Yeah. But uh, like the, the, this became like a staple and this isn't, you're not like a type kit, but I just mean like for people like kit who aren't big mm-hmm. horror fans or, you know, so I was like, yeah. I wonder if this gets away with that because it's like almost in that Harry Potter, like file, like in your brain. I think like, so. Yeah. Cause there's so many of those I, actors and even the set design, like is very exactly. like old timey and rich and stuff like that. But I anyway. think that the world like hollow i mean who knows maybe there are people but like there's freaks like lee i guess who want to live in texas chainsaw massacre but like most horror movies <laughs> don't build a world that like you wish you could go to and like right. as much horrible shit happens in this movie i'm like i want to go there like so bad like it's such a there and the, and it is treated with at least a light enough you know everyone who gets killed did something bad like there's a other than the little boy, that's very sad. Like there's the families, I guess, who, where you're sad for them. But for the most part, it's like the old guys who get killed. They're all being assholes in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it just doesn't f- it doesn't feel. It's like <sighs> it's kind of like I'm watching the movie not being scared, but rather being delighted at how scared Johnny Depp is or something. There's some element of remove that like yeah. makes it not scary but not in a bad way and i think it kind of borrows that and actually i i if i've read the the novella or the short story whatever Mm -hmm. it's been since college so it's been a while but i remember the disney version the the ichabod Mm -hmm. the adventures of ichabod and mr toad or whatever which this Uh, pulls heavily from yeah okay see i was gonna say like Mm -hmm. i remember in that he's like a big scaredy cat and all that and they definitely don't ham it up as much in this in the, the 99 one but yeah i wondered if like that uh yeah if they borrowed that there i don't are, know I don't there are this. there are very very direct references to it though. like the him okay. landing backward on the horse yep is that. like exactly from the cartoon okay. uh, the, the, when he gets hit in the head with the pumpkin and it's a yep. prank that's the flaming a big pumpkin one. Okay. the the horseman um walking on top of the uh covered bridge, bridge. yep stuff like that okay i wanted I want, to watch I used that to watch, again i've watched that so many times and here's yeah. the crazy thing i always turned it off when mr toad was on so i've never seen that <laughs> yeah yeah no that was uh actually we had this like tape that we recorded off the disney channel when we had like a free weekend or something and it was halloween and that was mm-hmm. on there and so we've seen like there was like some i don't even know what the other stuff on there was but i mm-hmm. didn't know that mr toad had been packaged with it in the theater until like you know i was in like high school or college or whatever um, so I had only mm-hmm. same, I was kind of the same way. I had only just seen like that 45 minute, which I don't know. Did they originally make it for like a short film in a theater? Cause it's, it's like 40 minutes, right? Yeah. Something like that. Like 30 or 40 okay. minutes. It's, it's, I think, I don't know if it was ever released in theaters. I think it, I mean, maybe. 
What would they have made it for? Just for home video. Like I got it as a VHS tape. Well, no, but I mean, it was made in like the. No, it's 50s. from like the forties. Was it? It's pretty old. Yeah. yeah. Holy moly. Yeah. So then that's like the the Winnie the Pooh movie um, from the seventies or whatever was like like three twenty minute shorts that they packaged as a feature length film. Interesting. But then it's but Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Forty nine. Okay. Yeah. And so like that's incredible. Yeah, like so did they just release like 40 minute movies and then pack a bunch of like short cartoons around it or something? I don't know. Anyways, that's a different movie, but um I'm pretty sure that it was Win in the Willows and Sleepy Hollow just as like a double So they were just always together. That's what I'm that's what it looks like. I mean that would I make don't sense. Know. And then they split it up once it came, you know, later to like Disney Channel and stuff. Um But, but. it's also like like Ichabod in the story and in most adaptations is like not a hot guy, Mm -mm. but I feel like this is one of my favorite Johnny Depp performances. And like, he's at like peak beauty in 1999, but I really do think you get over it very quickly. And he ceases to be like a sexual being like immediately. He he did want to, put on a huge yes. prosthetic nose. Right. <laughs> and honestly, watching this movie like for the first five minutes where you're settling into like, okay, trying to like solve the cognitive dissonance of like <laughs> yeah. this incredibly gorgeous human being playing this kind of character. Yeah. Like I understand, I fully understand why Johnny Depp, particularly in, at this age, wanted to constantly be wearing a weird hat or some kind of like prosthetic or wig or something like, because it does take you a moment, I think to allow him to be this character, but through a combination of his performance. And I think the way that John, that Tim Burton treats him, I, I, it worked like for the rest of the movie, like when he and Katrina have their little romance, like I enjoy it as kind of like a it's kind of funny like the lines that they say to each other are very are very, are very funny but like I don't see it as like ooh yeah I'm getting to see these two hot people kiss and they're like two of the hottest people who ever lived but yeah. it doesn't it doesn't play that way like the it works he does really disappear into this like you know kind of like scaredy cat tight ass c- character really well mm. and does like you know you do kind of get over how gorgeous he is um but I just it just kind of made this watch that stood out to me as like, oh, I, I understand why Johnny Depp's always trying to hide his fucking face. <laughs> like, like it because it, it can be like kind of a distraction. But I think they I think it's very I think he's so funny in this movie. And the movie is ultimately very successful at overcoming the obstacle of how attractive he is, I think, mm. and making him into this you know, not very attractive <laughs> lead character who you still like love uh, for all of his like foibles. Yeah. When it uses his kind of like his comedic style very well, because mm-hmm. like he, you know, he hands it up more in like pirates and stuff. Yeah. But at this point, I don't think he had really been in anything very funny that I, nothing's coming to mind. I guess Ed Wood was humorous. Ed Wood. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this just plays very well with his like, um, like very like kind of like small facial movement that kind of yeah. takes you off to the humor oh, kind of thing. Yes. This is also like extremely, I think, commercial for Johnny Depp at this point in his career. Mm-hmm. Like even even stuff like Ed Wood and and Edward Scissorhands, which certainly weren't made for 
you know, anybody but mainstream audiences. But this feels like much more of like a crowd pleaser just in terms of like his perform, like the humor in it is, is it's, it's not that it's not subtle, but it does seem like maybe bigger than what I'm used to seeing in Johnny Depp. It's a lot. And also kind of like Ed Wood is funny, but it's also like weird, you know, in a very like stylized mm -hmm. way, like the way they're acting, the cadence of it. Yeah. And this this feels much more like a popcorn movie. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I agree. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we were talking about uh, the Star Wars connection uh, mm -hmm. earlier. And because everything's connected to Star Wars these days, um, I'm kind of wondering if you guys can guess which three actors from Star Wars uh, are. I can. Christopher Lee. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess the kid already knows, so I'll just let her tell you. Um, well, the best one and the most important one to the movie is Darth Maul himself, Ray mm -hmm. Park, mm -hmm. as, as the Headless Horseman, whose physicality oh, is so is good. <laughs> so good. It's so good. The part <coughs> where he, um, he's leaving the family's house. Mm -hmm. And he kind of senses that there's a kid there, and he it's turns in the doorway. And it's like, and he so has he has brilliant. to move. It's kind of a weird thing because he has to move differently because you can't have a shot where the headless horseman stops moving and just like subtly looks over his shoulder because there's nothing to be seen. Um, so he's sort of you have to kind of allow him to move in a way that he's looking through the hole in his neck. It also, it also, weirdly enough, it works though. Feels like Christopher Walken. Yeah, yeah. And I was actually. This is dumb, but I kind of assumed that it was. Like I never thought about like. Oh, he it's moves probably. like Christopher Walken for yeah. sure. He's bigger. He moves they make like him, Christopher a, Walken it, talks. Oh yeah. For head, yeah. I well, think yeah. And there's also something very Batman-y about this too to me, just because. Because he maybe, has to move like that. Yeah, he's got to. <laughs> he's got to move like Batman did because Batman couldn't turn yeah. his head. Yeah. Um, but it's very, it is, it's very scary. It's, I think the Headless Horseman is, is very cool looking and mm. very scary. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, he's like a football player or something underneath there. Uh, and then, um, I also think just like the way he's lit because he's, very, it would be very easy for the Headless Horseman to completely fall into whatever the backdrop is in any given scene he's in. Um, but I think like whatever the materials they were that they used, that it, it's very cool. He's very, very cool to look at. Um, but yeah, just, uh, just wanted to, yeah, I want to emphasize how very important yeah. Ray Park is to this movie because super, super awesome. Yeah. Just every time the way he twirls, you know, his swords, the way he throws his ax, like and all the fight choreography mm -hmm. is very good. Yeah. Uh, yes. The sword stuff was cool. Awesome, awesome. The fight with Braun, Casper uh, Van Dien's character, and the mm. Headless Horseman, and, you know, Johnny Depp oh. trying to make his way. It's so good. Braun's um, death is, like, him getting sliced in. I love a slice in half, but that's, I, that's just, that's one of the best, like, that death is so cool. Just his that, torso getting chopped. Does that happen to Darth Maul? Yes. Star Wars? Yes. Indeed oh, it does. The very same, yes. the very same year. Yeah. What does it mean? <laughs> Good question. Also, Ian e. McDermott is is in this. Yeah, and who's that one? The pal he's Palpatine. 
Who is he? Oh, he's the doctor. He's the the he does. He has like a hair like this and like a pointy beard. Oh yes, okay. I know. He's scared. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Interesting. There's um, the Star. Wars. We should just stop doing a cruise minute and start doing a Star Wars minute. Star Wars connection. I like it. There's other. I was thinking about the fact that this has the same production designer as um, as Last Jedi. I was thinking about the throne room and the church in this movie, and totally. that just like stark red mm-hmm. and white. That's a really thing. good. That's mm. a really good point. Yeah. Interesting. That church rules. Apparently, that church exists and still standing. That's pretty which is amazing. That is amazing. Well, I was just joking about the Star Wars minute for the record. <laughs> Nerds. Um, and ILM did the effects. The effects. How much do we think the opening credits were like was is the fog like CGI and stuff like that? Because yes. I was thinking in okay. I was thinking during the opening credits of this, like, especially once they get to Sleepy Hollow. And like there's that shot, it's right before Tim directed by Tim Burton or whatever comes up where they're kind of between the gate or the city or the whatever that would be, kind of before the bridge. Not the not the covered bridge. Anyhow, it's like there's the two stag statues on either side, and it, like the camera sl- slowly lifts up and you get more of a view of the kind of the, I don't know, the main drag or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the I could I was kind of trying to parse like what is digital? Like, I'm, I think they're probably using some map paintings and things like that. And then yeah. I hadn't looked into like, was this a set or was this like a like historical village that they found or something? But uh, all of that. Oh, so, well, I was going to say gonna all s- of that is like gorgeous. Yeah, uh, I love mm-hmm. the entire opening credit sequence for this. It's just really cool. I know. And it moves it's the story so along. amazing. Uh, but what you were going to say, though, about the. I know. was just going to say it's kind of that perfect mix that very few directors, I think, ever really hit i think like david fincher usually hits it um spielberg sometimes uh these days but it's that mix of like using the right tool at the right point right like because there is i would i mean i think the the points of this movie that you could argue age the most are where you have the most obvious and not always i was gonna Mm -hmm. say you have the most obvious cg like you know the you know eyes popping out and with the yeah but even like, I would say the most egregious example of like pushing something too far is when the witch lady gets possessed by the headless horseman and like her eyes and tongue and stuff are like yes. slithering out of her head. But like yeah. the the scene where he puts the skull on his head and, and it kind of like it still like works. The, it works great. I think maybe the first like few frames where it's just a skull sitting on his head. But yeah. once it actually starts, it has this like movement to it that reminded me so much of the Raiders face yep. melting scene. It looked so much yep. more and it made me wonder, like I, I, I think it is CG, but I, I did definitely wonder at several points, like, is this practical? Like, is I this- feel like there's a point at which it starts to really seem like Christopher Walken. Mm-hmm. And then it felt really integrated. And that made me wonder, like, did he perform this and they used that? That like, could be it. Because but and you never you never have a point where it's like plastic face, you right. know, like so they knew when to cut away. They knew they know which parts to use and which parts to, you know, cut to something mm-hmm. else. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, I'm sure that there are uh I'm sure there's a ton of practical fog in this movie. I'm sure most of it is, but um, specifically about the 
horseman emerging from the tree, which is one of my favorite moments in the movie. But uh, mm -hmm. basically, they had to shoot it in a few different uh, pieces. They first they shot the horseman riding in front of a blue screen, along with, uh, and then they shot along with a background shot that has the set and the actors. And then the digital effects team then created like animated fog and leaves and dirt, which is, I mean, it's incredible to me that particle effects looked that good in, in 1999. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, individually, I guess each element, of course, you know, looked very, very, very silly, um, but digitally meshed together. It, it looks really, really, really good. So that, that, that's kind of what I mean about, you know, finding that right balance. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's using CG in a way that for the most part, you don't really know what's happening. Um, and you, you know, and it, and, and then, you know, the sets, you don't, you don't, I don't think anybody sitting in the theater in 1999 really thought about the world as it, you know, like, like it, Oh, mm -hmm. this is definitely inside. Like, I think they just thought Johnny Depp went and shot in Vancouver or something. Um, I, it's amazing knowing now what Tim Burton has become that I like know. he made what I consider to be the most beautiful film of all time by building an entire forest indoors. Yeah. And that that's such a part, whether people recognize it or not, that is such a part of the look of this movie mm -hmm. and such a part of what makes it so beautiful. Mm hmm. And that now what he's most known for is like video game movies that it's, like, yeah, I, I don't understand how someone who would you would like you were saying at the beginning who you would think. I mean, maybe it does have to do with he wants to live in a world entirely of his own device and computers give him the ability <laughs> maybe. to do that. But he lo he's someone who loves pra seemed to love practical so much yeah, yeah. one thing like just the contraptions in peewee or some of the visual yeah. gags in that and it's a, yeah you really do wonder what happens it's but. it's really interesting because you know uh, you know like i was saying earlier this feels like the ultimate tim burton movie to me and you know yes. saying that this might be the best tim burton movie and it's also the last good Tim yes. Burton movie. Yeah. Like it's crazy I, yeah. to me that like, th like his next movie after this is Planet of the Apes. Mm -hmm. And that was, I mean, and truly he never recovered from that. No. There, I, I, he hasn't made, I, I feel very safe saying he hasn't made a good movie since then. I'm like, I, I think uh, people like Frank and Weenie. I was going to say, seen it. I liked Frank and Weenie. It was a, it was a feature length adaptation. It was a feature length claymation adaptation. The short of film? The short film. Yeah. Um, the but short not, film, though, is wonderful. I, I love that. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's not better amazing. than the. Sh it's not better than the short. No, it's, it's not, not better real than the claymation. Short. It is good though. Like it's the kind of thing like they used to just put out like kids movies in like September and October, like yeah. like Paranorman, Frank and Weenie, uh, Monster House. I don't know. Random I just think it's. Like I think it's good when you're like, oh, but wait, he did make Frank. Like when you're talking about the wall of shit he's made since 1999, it's like, oh yeah, Frank and Weenie proves that he could still possibly make a good movie, but well, it's not I like. Say that. <laughs> Even that, I mean, it's fine. It's good, but it's it's not. It's nothing like Pee Wee. Okay, Batman, so yeah, so that's what I mean. You know, so it's yeah. so it's only good ag set against a wall of nonstop BS. 
Right. Yes. Yeah. Really? I, it was it was a point where I, I went to go see it just because I love Frank and me so much, like kind of against. Right. I went to go see it. Not expecting it to be any good. And then I was just like, well, that was a pleasant surprise. Like, And it, I didn't good. see it because I like the short so much. And I'm just yeah. like, I don't want a full length ver- version of this. It can't yeah. make me cry more than the original one does. The original. Like, I don't that, need, that's like I don't need best. this dog's death dragged out. <laughs> over so that 90 one, minutes since we're on the subject i have to mention i just randomly picked that up at the video store when i was a kid just like mm-hmm. i don't know i remember the cover was just like that dog like i think in black and white and then it was yes. like pink text and a blue background and i was just like sure like i, I didn't nothing about it i just thought mm-hmm. it would be something about a dog and like i watched it and it was so bizarre to me as a kid but like i just i really enjoyed it not realizing until later that I was I was also obsessed as a child with Beetlejuice, and then I don't right. think I realized that's probably not why I picked up Frank and Winnie. I probably just, but anyhow, what, what were you gonna say? I th- I think that it and Vincent were special features on the Nightmare Before Christmas, like they were, yeah, DVD or something, and so that's yeah. how that's how I saw it. Um, and just yeah, it's like it's just really strange that someone who because I feel like the mark of Tim Burton is he's like obviously incredibly particular in a certain sense he has such a like defined kind of almost narrow style but i don't find that in the movie that you know 1999 and earlier i don't find him to be up his own ass at all like he got moved like he's famous for delivering movies ahead of schedule and under budget he's kind of famous for i think being able to like he like he in a way like it's the I guess I've been comparing him to Kubrick perhaps unnecessarily, but he's sort of like the anti Kubrick where he, he come he's able to create these like incredibly immersive and particular worlds. But I also feel like he's very able to just go with the flow. Like he doesn't, he doesn't strike me as someone who needs everything to be just so with anything like I feel like there's still room for people to like do what they do what they're gonna do and like it's just very strange that somebody who managed to meld such practicality with such a like high style kind of like vision would end up where he's ended up yeah like how like we know lots of filmmakers who forget how to make movies but like I don't I don't know what the fuck happened yeah. to him. It's there that's a podcast in and of itself. Figuring <laughs> I think out what he, happened to Timber. I think he flew too close to the sun. I think he got fried. I think he yeah, uh, I think he he was given a huge, huge production, and I think it probably broke him a little bit. Planet I think of the Apes. Planet of the Apes. I think it's the same thing when you I mean you look at Francis Ford Coppola from Apocalypse mm-hmm. Now on, like there's a there's a there's a change. And the same thing with Peter Jackson. He made Lord of the Rings, yeah. and then yeah. he broke something huh. in, in his brain. Just didn't didn't couldn't fire after that. That's weird. I mean, maybe maybe Tim Burton. I mean, Batman is an adaptation of a sort, but maybe Tim Burton's not the kind of guy who should be making remakes of other people's movies. In a way, like maybe yeah. Planet of the Apes broke also for that reason. That it's like probably yeah. Why like he's kind of. Like, you know, he's known, I would say he's, I would argue he's like most known for like Beetlejuice, Edward Scissorhands, and Nightmare Before Christmas, even though he didn't direct that, which are completely 
unique stories, like very Beetlejuice in particular, but yeah. Edward Scissorhands too, like where there's such, he's just inventing new fairy tales. Mm-hmm. And then to have him remake a movie that already exists, and now that's kind of what he does. It's really, I don't, I don't know. He just started yeah. like biting off himself. Like even Corpse Bride is like a lesser remake of Nightmare in a certain way. Uh, that was kind of a real turning point for me because it was like, it was, it happened to at the height of uh, like um, Nightmare Before Christmas is sort of like, yeah, mm-hmm. re kind of reappraisal. Um, mm-hmm. And it really felt like it's like, okay. I didn't direct this and I can't stand the fact that even though I'm being credited that way, like I can't stand the fact, and this is, you know, I'm just making this up, but it just felt like an ego thing to me. Um, and it's not very good too. So there's that. Yeah. Well, back to sleepy hollow, I suppose. Yeah. Um, much like, much like sleepy hollow is the last good Tim Burton movie. It was also the last film in America to be released on laser disc. Yeah. Really? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> interesting huh. I'm pretty sure I um, had this on VHS and then on DVD on VHS really I think I did yeah I think I got it at block well yeah I don't know why I keep sharing my memories of specific movies <laughs> you, uh, said that interesting. you gotta stop sharing your memories I know. bro I remember <laughs> yeah, the Frankenweenie VHS box <laughs> what um, do you think we're doing here talking about what we think of movies? Jesus. Well, no, I'm talking about like I'm talking about like the actual day that I rented Frank and Weenie or like No, the... I think that's interesting. That you oh, remember okay. is amazing. I'm pretty sure I had Sleepy Hollow on a previewed VHS uh, from Blockbuster that I probably bought for like ten bucks or something. Because mm-hmm. that's where I used to get a lot of my my VHS. Uh, but then obviously you have to upgrade this one to DVD because the visuals yeah. are it's it's all about. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so actually, it's probably one of the few movies that I've owned on. VHS, DVD, and Blu-ray. So wow, hoping for a 4K. There's so also on that uh, prestigious list would be Congo. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude! <laughs> you rule. Yeah, I love Congo. <laughs> As you both know. Do you guys? Um, how much better does Congo look in on blue than DVD? <laughs> looks great. Congo looks great. Yeah, it looks yeah, great. On it's a great looking movie. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, guys... we're not talking about Congo, I guess, but like Congo has, I think a similar kind of Disney worldish quality where it's like, it's like that jungle adventure movie. Yeah. Um, but like the jungle's very cool. And then you got the animatronic apes and stuff like that. I think it's cool. Yeah. One thing, one thing I kept thinking about while watching this movie is that this movie feels like, and now it's the production designer of pirates and it's by a director who has actually done this kind of movie. But this is what the Disney live action remake should feel like. If they must happen, yeah, they should be like this, where there's obviously for uh, for good reason. There's something very animated and very Disney about this movie. And before he forgot how to make movies, I feel like Tim Burton would have been the ideal person for this current trend. Like it's not. This this version of Sleepy Hollow is not just a straightforward fucking retelling of the story that we all are already familiar with, but it is still very I mean there's it is very much in some ways like a remake of the Disney cartoon in that it yeah. references like specific scenes that happen in that it's, and it's it's weird cuz it's not like it's not super 
remembered, I think, I mean, I think critically it was not, I mean, it did not make a lot of money and I don't think it was like super like critically well received either at the time. Um, yeah, I don't know. Which is, it's very bizarre. And it, it kind of has been, you know, had kind of had to find its life, I think, um, on television, which is a weird thing. I've, you know, yeah. I've, I've, I've always loved it, but it, it's very strange to me. And I think, I think it's an, it's interesting in like some ways, I think there's an argument to be made that this is in some ways Johnny Depp's best performance in the sense that he actually gets to, he doesn't have any crutch. Like he just, has to make this character work. like a lot of people are operating at their peak in this movie. Like mm-hmm. this is, I don't think that, I mean, Lubetsky obviously has like an incredible track record, but I would argue that with, for the conditions he was dealing with, this is a pretty hugely successful entry, even on his filmography. And yeah, definitely, I think it's maybe the best Tim Burton movie. If certainly from a like visuals perspective and I think it's one of the best Johnny Depp performances and I think the script is awesome like it's it's just it's such a good movie but you're right like nobody like I was asking I asked my friends who have their like backyard theater like hey have you because I'm kind of trying to subtly be like why don't you schedule this for October um I'm like have you guys seen Sleepy Hollow and like neither of them have has seen it and yeah. you know one of them is a pretty big like I mean, they both they both have a lot in common with me movie wise, but like one of them is just like watches every movie and and they haven't seen this. Huh. And but then again, like I don't know anyone who does watch this and doesn't love it. Yeah, you know? and I didn't look at any reviews, but I would be curious if a critic really hated it, what they wouldn't. Um, I guess I do. I, I watching it last night. I could see how the story might feel kind of sloppy. Like if you weren't into the visuals or something like, yeah, it moves along a little randomly seemingly. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. But but I think that's just, I think it's like once you're in there in that world and everything just looks so good. <laughs> that it's and just I like, who almost cares? feel like maybe this is an excuse, but I almost feel like when Johnny Depp is delivering those speeches of like and who would stand to benefit from that, blah, 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 like that there's a silliness to them that suggests almost that the movie, there's an awareness on the part of the script that none of this fucking matters. Yeah. <laughs> like, like a kind of self-awareness of like, this is all who get, who this is all stupid and it doesn't yeah. make any sense. And it's like kind of part of it or something yeah. that there's like a campiness, especially considering the sources that it's drawing on. Mm-hmm. I don't think people love hammer horror films because of the like tight mystery plot, you know, right, <laughs> like, right. like it's all goofy. Um, and like, yeah, I don't, it doesn't make any sense. I don't, I, I've seen this movie 20 times. I don't know what the fucking story is, but no, I, I do think the story makes sense, but I guess like, I just feel like it, it's not why? like, what's that? How, what's the story? <laughs> I know that it has to do with an inheritance. Right. I mean, I that's, it, it's, it's not like it's like a, a, a uh, you know super moving or grand story in any way, but like you have Ichabod's story with him kind of coming to this memory of what happened to mm-hmm. his mother. And, you know, like you were talking about kind of his, uh, you know, he's the Scully and he's got to, you know, yeah, you know, uh, understand the supernatural. I think or, it works emotionally. Like, I think yeah. where you go with the characters, like you, it makes sense. I love, 
I, that sh- I, I one thing I love, and not for the reason that you might think that scene at the the part at the end where Katrina stands in front of him to like block him. Like he's hiding behind her from like the headless horseman or the witch or whoever. Yeah. And I'm like, this is a beautiful resolution to this relationship that the lesson that he had to learn was not how to be brave or something. Yeah. (laughs) Right. It was like, like it's to, and through the whole movie, she's far more like, she is braver than he is. Yeah. Like he's doing all of this, I think, to satisfy his like scientific curiosity, whereas she is like truly just like a brave, almost like an unthinkingly brave person. Yeah. And I love that outcome for their relationship that they're not going to. He doesn't become like the romantic masculine hero by the end of the movie. <laughs> he's like exact. He's the same kind of like a feat guy. Yeah. And she's. It's just, it's so, there's like a complexity to the characters that makes me not really care about like the mystery plot. Because again, like the real answer to the mystery is like, there's a fucking headless horseman that actually exists. I <laughs> like think, that's really the point of the story, right. I think. I, th- I think almost all of the pieces of the plot are pretty traceable. I think some of like the stuff that, you you can't get unless it's told to you is some of the motivations of the individual yes. maybe maybe all the motivations why is like, he killing the not all the guys who aren't like the old rich guys like i don't know why he's killing those other people right. they were like witness to something yeah and i think you can kind of figure some of that out like there's a shot where the the midwife lady there's like a pregnant woman is leaving and there's they're having some sort of discussion you kind of pick up some little bit of it, it kind of feels like, oh, they're establishing establishing this as a character who is confided in. Um, mm-hmm. And right. then and then there's like Miranda Richardson's character is sword like you can you can kind of draw a line like she acts sort of suspicious periodically. And then they early in the movie, they show the twin girls. And right. by the time we meet the witch, there's only one of them. So you can if you think about it, you can kind of infer that, oh, it's it's her ahead of time. I think mm-hmm. what you cannot get is that little bit about how her and her sister and their parents were um, forced out of their home by Christina Ricci's and, yeah, and, and Michael Gannon. There's a, is it connected to the part? There's a part where Christina Ricci is explaining to Johnny Depp, like, this land belonged to so-and-so before it came into my father's hands or something like I that. Think and I think from yeah, that we're maybe I, supposed to get it. I don't know. I think it's I think they I don't think she knows that piece because I think she refers to it as like Indian land or something like that. I could be wrong. Um, I do think it's connected, though. I feel like that scene where she's explaining is supposed to be somehow like the groundwork that relates to. Well, there is a moment Richardson. where she talks about the archer and that was Miranda Richardson's family name. So okay. that's but you okay. don't know. You don't know yeah. her. You don't know right. her maiden name. So if there was some, if there was some way that we knew, you know, it, so yeah, there is this, there is definitely a a real necessity to Miranda Richardson having her sort of cliche villain moment where she explains explains everything. everything. Yeah, yeah, you kind of need it. Which her is costumes fine. Are I mean, amazing. that's the thing is, it's it's fine. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's all there, but it does kind of it's kind of goes along haphazardly and probably some how stuff many was... how many great movies you know are are like that? And Mission like, and Impossible. It's, and it's built in <laughs> and it's built into their DNA to be this way. I mean, yeah, every single heist movie, Ocean's Eleven. Tell me mm-hmm. what the fuck anybody's doing in that movie right. until they tell you what they're doing yeah, in that movie. That's what I mean. And I honestly think that this movie is more self-aware about that shit not mattering than yeah. most movies like yeah. that. Are. Probably. Yes. I guess maybe um, maybe if there were critics that really disliked it, maybe they were just like not on board with that. But I, I think all of I, us were just like, OK. And I agree. There's like there's parts of the movie that I was noticing this time where like Johnny Depp leaves his like little kind of war room where he's figuring out his shit he leaves for like 10 minutes or less than that he leaves for like two minutes and then goes right back to it and discovers that his notes are missing or whatever and i'm like that's a little awkward that like he was just there he left for you know very minor reasons then came back and they're gone but like i also don't fucking care because look look where he is like this is incredible (laughs) and he's being So, so funny and it's so enjoyable so who gives a shit on that note Something we mm-hmm. haven't talked about, although I was actually kind of surprised. I, no, we touched on Christina Ricci. Um, one thing that I always forget is in this movie, but that like I really like the look of it and it's kind of different than the other is the church and that whole scene where they're kind of yes. all seeking refuge in the church. And then he throws that's the my favorite. Through. My favorite shot in cinema history is where Johnny Depp looks down and she's laying there. Yes. And it scans over the dead bodies to her magic circle. And yeah. I'm like, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever. And the music obviously is adding some. It's, mwah, it's <laughs> the best. That's the that's my favorite thing ever in a movie. <laughs> it's funny you said that because as I was watching it last night, I honestly was like, I wonder if you could do something where, like, you could make a poster out of that. So like, yes, compile the images like as it pans, so not to like overlap them, but like to get yes. each chunk. I was like, because that would be like the cool. That would be like a painting. Like it's really cool. Yeah. It's um, incredibly gorgeous. Because it's it's her on kind of the on the the uh, pulpit the thingy, the pulpit, yeah. yeah. Um, and then it's the guys who have been killed who are bleeding from their heads, like the mm-hmm. they were shot each other, or whatever. There's a cross, and then there's something else. Oh, then yeah, there's her. There's something else before her protective signal or sigil or whatever. Um, but yeah, I was like, this would be this is gorgeous. But even even before that, like there's when so when the headless horseman shoots the thing through his her dad's chest and then yanks him back, he's brought out through this window and there's that red stained glass cross that he's pulled out from. And even that I'm just I mean, that church is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> like the whole even the shots of him outside of it just kind of like and then they so like you see you both see from the perspective of like behind like as if you're in the graveyard looking at him in front of the church and then you see the reverse of him crossing in front of the graveyard and i'm just yeah. like this is what i want life yeah. to be <laughs> it's so amazing it's yeah. so gorgeous like you can i don't know look what's behind me right now those are my 18th century grave rubbings like yeah that's <laughs> like puritan that's ugh, it's so in, it's so incredible it is i remember it's a beautiful. long time back and i guess we should we could cut this if this is an idea you want to keep on the burner but you told me <laughs> to adapt that uh poem you said it would make or no it's not a poem it's a sermon the sinners in the hands of an angry god yeah you were like you should adapt that into a horror movie and i horror like read film. it and i was like well that would be kind of tricky but i think you were like wanting another sleepy hollow um yeah well, there's but, so much. I mean, the Vivich is basically. That's like, what, yeah. I think yeah. that's the closest to getting that like spooky, 
but like cozy, uh, you know, revolutionary era, like, yeah, that kind of thing. I think the, the, the witch or the vivage. But yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't like when people call it the vivage. It's the witch. But whatever. <laughs> um, that's a good movie. I actually, I just picked up the lighthouse the other day. I should get the, the have you, the have you seen it? The lighthouse. Oh, I've seen it twice already. I just, I rented oh. it the first time because I was too impatient to wait on the library. And then I, my whole, my copy came in at the library and I watched that. And did uh, you yeah. not see it in the theater? No, regrettably I missed it when it was in the theater. I, okay. I wanted to get to it. We just never got to it. And you've, but, have you seen, uh, you've seen the witch. Yeah, I've seen the witch. Okay. I did see that in the theater. I really okay. liked both of those. I like that director. I'm looking forward to, he's got like an, uh, a Viking, Viking movie. movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited. He's have you good. seen Emma, Mike? Seen what? Emma, the most recent Emma. No, I didn't see that. Was that good? I think you should watch. I think you might yeah, like it. I liked okay. it a lot. It's got the same lady, but it's also it just has that um, extremely composed thing that I feel yeah. like we all enjoy from time to time. Anya yeah. Taylor Joy. Is yeah. Her name. yeah. Okay. She's, yeah. She's great. But where it's just everything is just like every, it's a painting like yeah. every single frame. Who directed that? Do you know? Is it anybody from? It's a lady. What? Don't. <laughs> Emma, Dude, I know. 2020. I said the same thing. A girl directed um, a movie? Autumn DeWilde. And has what she, a, what, is, is it her first film or? Yeah, I think it's her first feature. She's done like oh, mus- music videos maybe and she's a photographer as well. That's okay. cool. Um, yeah, let's yeah. check that out. Um, the trailer irritated me, but I could tell that it was like they had cut the trailer that it, the movie probably wasn't actually going to be like that. Oh, because it's. Very, I think it's it was pretty hip. damn charming. Yeah, it was like trying to be yeah. like cool or something. I was like, eh, like, maybe. like, like, kind of like a, like a, like a Marie Antoinette. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Marie Antoinette yeah. kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it has that, that like pastel nature, but but I, I think like the thing that makes it work is that the take on the subject matter aligns with the subject matter very well. Okay. Like, did did you know the title is actually Emma with a period on the end? Like that's the official title. That is the official title of the of the film. Yes, I like I like huh. putting punctuation into a movie title. I like that. It's very strange. Interesting. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's why I think it works. Is that the style actually I think enhances like it helps carry the tone of the novel. Kind of like um, prim and proper. Yeah. Well, yeah. but just and funny. Like like Jane Austen's very funny. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. Um, and so, yeah, satirical in her own right. So I have gone through most of my notes. There's one little straggler that I had. Um, do you guys want to move on to little stragglers? Or is there another sure. scene or yeah, element I, of the film? I, I let's kick it off with my my one my last piece of trivia. Okay. Um, do you want to? Do you guys want to guess the three other actors that the studio made Tim Burton consider for the role of Ichabod Crane? I saw on Wikipedia, but I've already forgotten. So. Kit, do you know Kit? Oh, I remember um, one of them. I remember one. Okay. Well, you say it. You go first, and then... One was Brad Pitt. Okay, Mike, what's yours? Which, thing? One God. was Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> okay, can you guess the third one? I think. Oh, the I third, remember the third one now. The third one is, I think, the best one. I remember the third one. Okay. Do you... It's, I don't do remember. You, no, I don't know. Okay, Liam Neeson. Yeah. Oh, weird. I think Liam Neeson... I don't Neeson, get that. I think Liam Neeson at that time, just like he's 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 maybe too tall, but he's so lanky that I could see. I, I could yeah, s- I see the choice. Uh, yeah. If you were basing it on the cartoon kind of yeah. more like, yeah, I can see that. And he's huh. Daniel Day-Lewis. He can be funny, too. To he could be funny. I think Daniel Day-Lewis would just be like, 
No, I, I, that's when I remembered. Yeah, because I was like... It's like, there'll I, be blood or something. <laughs> right, and I think they picked him because they were thinking, like, the Crucible. Um, Probably. Brad Pitt would be horrible. But the reason I remember that one is because I was like, yeah, that would not work for this film at all. He couldn't... I, I don't... Has he ever told a joke? Oh, the Crucible, you're right. <sighs> you know, I don't know if Brad Pitt is yeah, such is a horrible Daniel Day-Lewis choice. Yeah, is funny in anything? I mean, Lincoln is... He's funny Lincoln in, was a funny guy. He's funny in uh, <laughs> Phantom Thread, I think. Um, but yeah, it's very, very dark, very subtle humor. So it's yeah, not the same thing. That's true. That's I true. could see, I could see, I could see Brad Pitt being funny. No. Yeah. Are you kidding me? See, he is funny. Remember though, no, I'm not saying he's not funny. I'm saying he'd be horrible in this movie. This would have been the same uh, year as different. Yeah, it would have been different. But I, I Brad think, Pitt I cannot think play an old timey guy. The oldest yeah. Brad Pitt goes is 1950s. That's it. Okay. <laughs> um, I had a little trivia. What he could play Braun. Go ahead. So uh, Burton and uh, is it Lubeski? Lubeski? Yeah. Lubetsky. So they originally consi- considered shooting the film in black and white and in a 4-3 mm-hmm. aspect ratio, which I thought probably, speaking of Robert Eggers, we just talked about him a minute ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, that probably would have looked cool, but I would have missed all of this color and all of the other. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a know, big note. I was reading that. that because of the color grade, the blood had to be bright orange mm-hmm. in order to end up looking red very cool okay see and well, i wondered if that was like an homage to the hammer horror because it looked like thick oh i think and so red. yeah yeah it's not uh, even, i love the blood in this movie yeah it, it's nice it's not even like a, a grade thing like they did it uh the bulk of it is done in camera they shot everything through a blue filter and so that's yes, cool. right which is which is very very because cool. of the filter that yeah. is that is i love that level of commitment you don't see it very much these days and i i, really, I know I like it. that's so do you guys think that there could be like a movement you remember like uh in the 90s like Lars von Trier had like dogma 95 or whatever it was do you think there could be like a movement now where like a group of talented filmmakers were like we're we're gonna use film we're gonna use no CGI effects you know you can edit it on a computer but otherwise there's no like and they just make like everybody make like 10 10 movies or something like that I don't Mm -hmm. think it matters as much that they do it on film or not I think it would be the choice to capture as much in camera yeah. as possible. When I was in when I was yeah. in school, I remember one of my teachers, he was like, it was like right when you were starting to see this kind of stuff go away where they'd throw like a filter on and that was and that decides what your movie looks like basically. Right. Like you have you cannot you you've made this choice and this is what you have to live with. But he was showing us this scene from Top Gun and basically the sky is is blown out. And now they just do sky replacement for almost everything. But um, the sky is blown out. And um, so what they did is basically there's a they put a filter over the lens and it's like half of the lens is one uh, is just like glass. And then the top half is just like a it's a neutral density filter, um, which is just like it just cuts the light. Uh, And so basically you have this line that is across the uh across the horizon of what you're shooting and like sometimes stuff passes stuff that is exposed for one horizon passes and mm-hmm. in, is passes into another um but for the most part you just have to like rely on like composing your shot and having pristine camera work um and be okay with stuff not being perfect yeah um and that's it's and it was just it was just a it's it's a very like it's a shot of just a plane taking off from the deck of a of a uh, aircraft carrier, um, 
and I don't know. It's just stuff like that. They wouldn't. They just wouldn't do that now. I don't think for Which, the most part. Yeah. By the way, that is how they've been capturing Sky from a photography perspective since the 19th century. For that sure. I was just r- at work working on. Mm-hmm. a label for a photograph where the guy just captured the sky and the sea at two different exposures and then knit them together in post. Yep. Huh. And people were like, this is amazing. Yeah. Like you figured you out how to take beautiful seascapes because you couldn't do it. You couldn't ex- yeah. You couldn't expose for the ground and the sky at the same time. Unless, I mean, there's certain times of day, maybe you could do it, but for the most part you couldn't do it. Interesting. And that's why the camera as great as it is, We'll never be able to compete with the greatest camera of all, the human eye. <laughs> and yet, Kate, you watch, you watch Sleep, <laughs> you watch Sleepy Hollow, and you're like, "My eye can't do that." That's right. Yeah, you're sure. not wrong. You're not wrong about that. Um, um, the only thing I don't like about this movie, to continue with little stragglers, hmm. is Johnny Depp's wig in a number of scenes. Very. Huh. Uh, that is it's very upsetting to me okay his hair looks fabulous in many scenes but in a handful of scenes it's such a fucking wig it looks insane he looks like a muppet um also i think we should mention the chase scene i honestly was watching it last night thinking like not since raiders have i it's very good seen and very similar to raiders um yeah where people are just like constantly hanging off the side. Of all the of that, all of that was performed by Johnny Depp. He he was radical. He, they even they drug him by the uh, carriage, and that was him on the ground, which is very cool. Cool. Very, I very actually cool. wondered about that because there's a part where you see he's pulling himself up behind the carriage, mm-hmm. and you see his face, and I was like, well, how did they? Uh, you know, because usually it's like you see like the stuntman mm. face and like the wig it is also- loose or something. It reminded me a lot of the train sequences in The Lone Ranger as well. Yeah. Although he did Where didn't he's like hanging on to the, the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm still bitter about that time where he uh, jumped off the bridge or whatever onto the train car full of rocks and that broke his fall. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I love the face that Christopher Walken makes before he kisses Miranda Richardson. Yeah. The like very Walken y face he makes. Oh, he's great. Yeah. He's. So wonderful. And I don't think he's ever done another another character like this. No, not. And it's so funny because like maybe the most iconic thing about Christopher Walken is his voice and he has zero lines. Um, yeah. Very true. yeah. He's, he's fucking great. He is great. And it and and as we mentioned, it feels like Ray Park's performance feels so much like the same guy as when, he, you know, yeah. headless or head having he's like feels so much like the same character it's really cool mm-hmm. really good that's all my little stragglers all the stragglers Maybe andrew did you have any stragglers nope excellent then it, it is time oh i have one more i have one more okay sorry it's time for the cruise minute i can't turn back the, the clock the, i love the detail of the family tree being in the big bible when he opens like yeah oh yeah that's the cover great. of the bible and the family tree is in there and that's so such a, that's like, a good nice good way to establish detail. even just even just to establish just like because it, it has a map of the town behind it Mm -hmm. so i think or something like that and so even just to establish just like oh everything everybody's connected here i think all of the accoutrement like it it reminded me a little bit of watching mulan and just being like the only positive thing that i could say about mulan was that all the stuff in the scenes were so beautiful and like this movie too like every object was so gorgeous and felt so like real Mm -hmm. Um, yeah 
Yeah, it's beautiful, beautiful production design. It won an Oscar. They uh, well deserved. Well deserved. Mm-hmm. Is that what it won for? Production? Design? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, definitely deserved. Or art direction or something. Something like that. Mm. One of those. Costumes are good too. That was another production design. Production. Okay, design. cool. Definitely. Uh, okay, it is now time. It is past time, actually. Thank you, Kit, for the cruise minute. Um, I got one. I, I've, yeah, okay. I've actually got one this week. So. Okay, you go first then. Okay, so uh, Kevin Yeager uh, was originally slated to be the director of this. Um, who is Kevin Yeager? He is a special makeup effects artist who this would have been, I think, like the only movie he directed. He might, I think he directed some episodes of Tales from the Crypt. Okay. Uh, old show. Anyhow, he uh, once Burton took over. So the production was in development for a while and all that. And um, once Burton took over, he wound up being the special makeup effects artist on this film. But he was also uh, he had that position on Mission Impossible, too. Which is oh, a Tom cool. Cruise film. So yeah, that was my nice. cruise minute. I thought you were going to say that he was going to direct this and Tom Cruise was going to be Ichabod Crane and I was going to say that would have worked. That would be cool. Yeah, he could do it. Oh, I would... Oh. Think about think about Tom Cruise in uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Like, that's probably yeah. the cool. I could Exactly. Oh, <laughs> I could so see totally it. Totally work. Totally works. Wow. <laughs> it just fell out of her seat for everybody who's listening. Uh-huh. That would, that would got, be really cool. And he's already got a he's got a nose that looks more like the cartoon Ichabod. Yeah, it's only in profile, wow. but yeah. Although never since you said Liam Neeson, like I could totally see him looking like that cartoon character. I could too. I think as long as okay. you, yeah. you you have to divorce him through you know taken Liam Neeson, right? Because mm-hmm. that's kind of who he is now. But yeah. uh, think of like Nell. Liam Neeson. Exactly. Yeah, that's nice. exactly. Yeah. That's, oh, that is exactly it. It is now <laughs> Liam Neeson. <laughs> um, uh, wait. Andrew just went. Yeah. Okay, no, I have not. Have a, I haven't gone yet. What are you talking you about? You freaking, no. I, I can remember you said. Yeah. I'm not gonna All let right. you take this from me. Um, Go ahead. What's your cruise minute? Yeah. This is a. This is actually uh, Nicole Kidman. Um, but this is about uh, eyes wide shut. Like a lot of the mythology behind. You know, uh, a big piece of the big piece of mythology behind the making of that movie is uh, that it like ruined their marriage or whatever. And uh, she doesn't really comment on their marriage ever. But this is a very nice thing that she says. Um, She said, uh, you know, she was she's talking about this, the, the scene where they she's talking about her fantasy or whatever. And she said, uh, but the, the dialogue didn't reflect the state of her marriage at the time. Kidman told uh, whatever magazine she was talking to. She said, that fits the narrative that people came up with, but I definitely didn't see it that way. Um, we were happily married through that. We, could, we would go go-kart racing. After those scenes, we'd rent out a place and go racing at three in the morning. She said, I don't know what else to say. Maybe I don't have the ability to look back and dissect it, or I'm not willing to. She said... Um, what else did she say? She said, we loved working with Kubrick. We shot that movie for two years. We had two kids and we're living in a trailer on the lot, primarily making spaghetti because Stanley liked to eat with us sometimes. We were working with the greatest filmmaker and learning about our lives and enjoying our lives on set. That's kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Anyway. That's nice. She's a, she's, a, she's a damn class act. For honestly. sure. Cool. I like her a lot. Okay. Cool. Uh, thank you for joining us tonight, folks. But, Mike, what are we going to talk about next week? Thank you, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Just Idiot. about to breeze through it. I... <laughs> All right, now. Freaking dumbass. Um, please join us next week. 
for 1985's The Midnight Hour, which is my pick. And I've been jonesing to watch that with you guys since I saw it last year for the first time. Uh, It's it's a lot of fun. It is spooky. Um, But yeah, so curious uh, to see what you both think. And we will get to that next week. Thank you for joining us for this special spooky edition of Slow Motion Triple Feature. Uh, Slow Motion Triple Feature was recorded in a burning windmill on top of a hill. Special thanks to our producer, Lee, the man in the booth, who makes us sound great. If you'd like to contact us, please do so at slowmotiontriple at gmail.com.